E. Bernie of Scotts Bluff had been accused of converting over $15,000 from the Hormel Company at Scotts Bluff for his own use. Now, KFAB in Omaha joins NBC. NBC News. This is Wally Robinson. The continuing crisis in Iran and the brand new one in Afghanistan were cited by the White House tonight as being too pressing to allow President Carter to go to Iowa for his scheduled debate with Senator Edward Kennedy and Governor Jerry Brown. There has been a great deal of reaction to the move from Democrat and Republican candidate alike, and most of it is negative. The latest to comment is Tom Quinn, Jerry Brown's campaign manager. The president's decision is an insult to the people of Iowa and the entire nation. Uh, Mr. Carter has been making around 20 phone calls a day to Iowa politicians, and I personally find it difficult to believe that he can politic by telephone every night, but cannot find the time to appear face-to-face with his two opponents. Republican John Anderson of Illinois said the decision lends credence to the contention that the president is politicizing the Iranian situation in order to tighten his grip on the White House. The Kennedy forces are playing it more pragmatically. They offer to move the location of the debates and exclude any Iranian content if that would get the show on the road again. Sources say the Kennedy camp is very keen for the confrontation, feeling it's vital if their man is to get his flagging campaign moving again. More news after this. Tax breaks that may be in store for the 1980 election year. If you missed this major story, you haven't been reading the Wall Street Journal. And in today's economic turmoil, you can't afford to lose touch with what's happening in every phase of business. So have a pencil ready for an important offer that will help keep you informed. Other journal articles reported the facts on Detroit's tailspin, the latest reading on the economy, and the cloudy outlook for retailers this Christmas season. You would have read about the encouraging prediction about oil supplies and the bleak outlook for municipal financing in the state that started the tax revolt. Another article examined aluminum stocks. They're beginning to reflect fears of a long, deep recession. The Wall Street Journal. It's all the business news you need when you need it. Right now, you can get 20 weeks of the journal. That's 100 copies for only $22, a real money-saving offer. So in the continental U.S., call this toll-free number now, 800-648-5322. That's 800-648-5322, except in Nevada. You'll be billed later. Diplomatic missions are underway to deal with both the Iranian and Afghan situations. Secretary of State Vance will lead the delegation at the U.N. tomorrow, though NBC News has learned that economic sanctions against Iran will not immediately be sought. Apparently, Secretary of State Baldheim has a chance to meet and negotiate directly with the Ayatollah Khomeini, and the U.S. will therefore hold off for ten days. Deputy Secretary of State Christopher is to meet with our allies, seeking a common response to the Soviet intervention in Afghanistan. Meanwhile, Richard Valeriani reports that state seems to be hamstrung in its dealings with Iranians in this country, too. On December 12th, the State Department ordered the Iranian embassy in Washington to cut its staff from 60 to 15 and to reduce the number of people working in four Iranian consulates around the country from about 160 people to a total of 20, five in each consulate. The top Iranian diplomat here was given five days to comply with the order. But 16 days later, the Iranians still have not given the State Department a final list of the 35 diplomats who will operate their embassy and consulates. They did submit one list, but then said they wanted to revise it, and a revised list has not yet been presented. Nor does the State Department know which Iranians, if any, have actually left the country. Officials here say they're still working on getting the problem resolved. Richard Valeriani, NBC News, at the State Department. This is NBC News. Kodak invites you to remember the special moments that make up the holiday season and to trust them to Kodak Film. A bike! Grandpa, you got me a bike! I got one too, a red one! <laughs> <laughs> 
you shouldn't have. Oh, I know. Oh, this is our I know. How did you know? I knew. Shouldn't you trust moments like these to Kodak Film? Happy New Year to all you football fans, and the NBC Radio Network is kicking off in great style. The 1980 Rose Bowl pitting the University of Southern California Trojans against the Buckeyes of Ohio State. I'm Bob Buck, NBC Sports, inviting one and all to join us as two of the nation's top-rated teams battle it out. The Rose Bowl, New Year's Day on many of these NBC stations. Holidays have always been attended by various discomforts, usually brought on by enjoying one's meals too much or enjoying one's eggnog too much. George Goble once called it being overserved. Now you can add another malady, profiled by NBC's Rob Sharkey in Los Angeles. A problem for many over the holidays is insomnia. It occurs whenever regular daily patterns are disrupted, but what researchers are learning about it may put us to sleep. Insomnia is sexist. More women suffer than men. It's often caused by agripneophobia fear of not being able to sleep. Caffeine and nicotine are also causes. Both are stimulants. Alcohol can be, too, making your nightcap an eye-opener. Sleeping pills lose effectiveness after a few days. But what will work is protein, because it contains a natural sedative. Next time the Sandman stays away, try a high-protein dinner and a glass of milk at bedtime. Wally Robinson, NBC News. In Omaha and Council Bluffs, we have 29 degrees and some light snow. Lincoln, cloudy skies and 30. This is KFAV in Omaha. Now, the Mystery Theater. E.G. Marshall. By the time this settlement of immigrants established itself as the United States of America, it had already produced, alongside its statesmen and traders, various writers of distinction who would come to be respected and admired all over the civilized world. Once the new republic was formed and proclaimed, the land burgeoned with many more, of whom one was Washington Irving, born in New York City in 1783. The drama we're about to present for your enjoyment is a free adaptation of one of his stories. But, Gottfried, you live like a solitary. You live like a monk. Not at all, Carl. Paris is full of women. Fastidious, flirtatious, fascinating. I love them all. Well, that's all very fine, but there should be one. One in particular. There is. I see her every night. Where is she? Why haven't I met her? Because, my dear friend, she lives in my dreams. Our mystery drama, The Guillotine, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elspeth Eric and stars Paul Hecht. It is sponsored in part by Contact, the 12-hour cold capsule, and True Value Hardware Stores. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Kodak invites you to remember the special moments that make up the holiday season and to trust them to Kodak Film. A bike. Grandpa, you got me a bike. I got one too, a red one. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's going. <laughs> no. 
Now you shouldn't have. Oh, I know. Oh, this is uncomfortable. I know. How did you know? I knew. Shouldn't you trust moments like these to Kodak film? How many cold tablets do you take a day? Two? More. Four? More. Six? Yeah. A day? Uh-huh. And then more at night? Right. Why? Well, they're new. Take contact. One capsule helps all your congestive symptoms up to 12 hours. All day? And all night while you sleep. That's the wonder of contact. Hey, you're the guys on TV. <laughs> yeah, we're the guys on TV. Take your contact. Take it fast. Give your cold to contact. Take only as directed. This is the season when Dean's Camera Centers are specially helpful to camera bugs. Dean's have a complete stock of Kodak film, black and white, color, and self-developing for beginning photographers as well as professionals. And the holidays are one time you won't want to get caught short. Remember, too, Dean's for Kodak film processing and Kodak prints. You'll want to get those slides you took during Christmas and New Year's developed quickly and professionally. And Kodak picks up and delivers to both Dean's Camera Centers every day. So have a happy holiday, and for film or processing, visit Dean's Downtown or Dean's Countryside Village Camera Center. If you think it takes you a long time to make yourself look good, just think. It took national parks thousands of years to become the natural beauties they are when you visit them today. But will they still be that beautiful when you leave? Everyone likes to have a good time, but litter is no fun for anyone. So remember, leave your footprints on the trails, but leave your candy wrappers, film boxes, lunch bags, and other trash in the trash cans the Park Service provides. This message from your National Park Service, U.S. Department of the Interior. On Council Bluffs at 29 degrees and light snow. Lincoln, 30 degrees and some cloudy skies. This is KFAB. A collection of short stories by Washington Irving was published under the title of Tales of a Traveler. One section of the book is charmingly headed, Strange Stories by a Nervous Gentleman. And it is from this section that we have chosen the tale that follows, one we call The Guillotine. I am of a brooding and introspective nature. It has always been thus. It was never that I scorned the follies and the fripperies of this world. Indeed, I begrudged others their free and easy access to such vanities, their effortless enjoyment of them, with a profound and a scorching envy that was driving me to the very edge of my self-control. I felt about to howl with the torment of my incapacity. In my agony, I turned to the only friend I had, my fellow student, my compatriot, the sole human who had tolerated my intolerable moods without blame, without censure, without what surely would have finished me off, without abandoning me. Gottfried, Gottfried, my dear friend. Help me, Carl, help me. But of course, just tell me what I can do. I... I don't know. Is it money? Do you need money? Money? If it were only money, it... It is myself. My tortured, restless, squirming self that looks for rest and cannot find it. That searches for peace and watches it retreat with every step I take. Desperation tracks my heels when I walk the streets. Melancholy meets me at every corner. And gloom... Deep, impenetrable gloom fills the house where I live. 
Gottfried, you are so much more clever than I. Clever? <laughs> you call me clever? You shut yourself away from others. Ah, oh, no, not from you. You are my link to life, my only tie to the real world about me. Then let me tell you straight out what I think. Your manner of living, your fevered absorption in your studies, your avoidance of the company of most men and all women... But I, I never know what to say to them. All these things combined, Gottfried, have impaired your health. You are haggard and pale. Your shoulders are bent. Your eyes have a look that is not quite of this world. Forgive me, my friend, if I speak roughly... No, no, you speak truly. But I think it is not alone your body that is failing. I think your imagination has become... Forgive the word. Diseased. Have I said too much? Have I gone too far? I must tell you that of late I have been studying many philosophical theories... Not just the recognized ones, but those more obscure, more, perhaps, radical. You have the mind for such weighty things, Godfrey. I've gone back to the Egyptians, to the Hindu. I've walked with Paracelsus in his garden. Of late, I've immersed myself in the teachings of Swedenborg and his new Jerusalem church. Swedenborg? I don't think I know... He's who... a Swedish philosopher, a religious writer. He died a few years back, but he claimed... To have established direct communication with the spiritual world. How did he do that? Through the opening of his spiritual senses. And you? Well, can you? Has that happened to you? <laughs> of course not. It didn't happen to Swedenborg until he was 57 years of age. But it might happen, or, or something very like it might happen to me, if only... What, Gottfried? If only what? If only I could escape... Escape whom? Escape what? An evil influence, Carl. It hangs over me night and day. Oh, how can you say such things? Because I know them to be true. There is an evil genius, a vile spirit, whose sole intent is to ensnare me and to ensure my damnation. You really believe it? It is not so much a matter of believing, Carl. It is a matter of conviction. Conviction that it is so. And being convinced that it is so, it is so. I think I can understand that. Though I am not sure. I have never been given over much to fancies of that sort. I'm more of a, a practical man, you might say. Still, in a way... I can understand how a man like yourself could seize upon such an idea and become a, well, let's say a victim of it. Yes, yes, you've hit on the word, Carl. I am a victim, a victim of my own imaginings. Yes, you are exquisitely correct. Well, then, if, if I could go on and, and make a further suggestion... By all means, speak out. It's my thought that you should leave here and go to Paris. Paris? You could finish your studies there as well as here. Well, the Sorbonne is as fine a university as one could wish. And Paris is such a splendid city. A change of scene. A change of company, perhaps. Female company in particular. Who knows what all that might do for you? Yes. Who knows? At first, it seemed that Paris might indeed be the answer to my dilemma... The revolution was breaking out and beginning to spread. 
I had studied Jean-Jacques Rousseau's social contract paragraph by paragraph, and his theory of the equality of man and representational government had captivated my mind. More than that, the delirium of the people of Paris, their fervor, their ecstasy, it seemed that simply to live in such an atmosphere would be enough to cleanse my mind of its morbidity. I found myself a room on a narrow, dark street in the Latin Quarter, not far from the monastic walls of the Sorbonne. The concierge who showed me my quarters was as gloomy as the street itself. There it is. Two francs. It, um, it has a window? You can see that it has... Ah, yes. I'll need a table to put in front of the window. Could you arrange that? <clears throat> and uh, a straight chair to put in front of the table. Is that possible? Uh, I am a student at the Sorbonne. I'll be doing some writing. I'll arrange it. Uh, could you also arrange for an armoire? I have only a very few clothes, but I would... There are nails on the wall. Oh, oh yes, yes, I see. Um, now, about bookshelves, I have very few clothes, but I have a great many books, and I expect to have more, so... I have no bookshelves. I see. Well, um, for the time being, I suppose I can stack them on the floor or <laughs> under the bed. I'll manage. Two francs. Oh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, there you are. Mm. The uh, students at the Sorbonne seem very excited about the, uh, the uprising. Students are always excited about something. And the establishment of the National Assembly. A gesture. Oh, but, madame, it confirmed the revolution. The king will never again be absolute. If not the king, then it will be another. How can you be so pessimistic? Why, the day the people captured the Bastille. I, I was not here, but I heard of it. The king went to the guild hall. He gave in. He even wore the red, white, and blue cockade, I was told. Uh, that is true, isn't it? Oh, yes. Well, then, the arrest of the royal family. Yes, yes. And yes. the march on Paris from Marseille. Oh, what a thrill. They managed eight. Eighteen miles a day, I'm told. <laughs> Imagine that, in midsummer and drawing their cannon with them. No body of men has ever accomplished such an extraordinary feat. Yes, yes. Yeah, the king, the queen, the dauphin, all imprisoned in the tower of the temple. Oh, yes. And the establishment of the Committee of Public Safety. You approve? Well, how could I not approve, madame, with the great Marat heading the committee? Marat is a madman. No, no. Not mad. Oh, or if he is not quite sane, that is due to his ardent belief in equality and government by general consent. The massacres of September? More than a thousand killed? Well, I, I know very little of that. You know very little of anything, monsieur. It's your youth, perhaps. I shall be generous and call it that. Well, it's true I'm young, but I am not completely ignorant of the world and its ways. Not completely. You are. You are ignorant and you are arrogant. Madame, I must protest. Have you heard of a man called Robespierre? Yes, I've heard of him. Mm. He is idolized by the people. He will join the Committee of Public Safety before the year is out. And the king will lose his head. Yes, in January of 1793... King Louis XVI was guillotined. Six months later, Robespierre joined the Committee of Public Safety. Hundreds upon hundreds passed before the Revolutionary Tribunal 
and were executed. Danto, the man I had idealized, was among the victims. So was Madame Elizabeth, sister to the king. So was the queen. I sickened and turned away. The terror had begun, and I shrank from the sight of it. I spent the better part of my days in the libraries, those catacombs of departed authors rummaging among their hordes of dusty and obsolete works in quest of food for my unhealthy appetite. I became, in a manner of speaking, a literary ghoul feeding in the charnel house of decayed literature. Washington Irving was born just as the seeds of the French Revolution were starting to germinate. By the time he was of school age, the revolution had been confirmed by the establishment of the National Assembly. At the age of eight, he was old enough to hear from his elders of the March on Paris in the spring. His ninth and tenth years must have been filled with rumors of the executions in Paris, years which came to be known as the Terror I'll be back shortly to continue with Act Two. The next time you want to do it yourself, be professional. Use a quality skill power tool from True Value Hardware Stores. Hi, Pat Summerall to suggest you get the Skill 7.25-inch circular saw designed for standard home use. It has a burnout-protected motor, heavy-gauge foot brackets to assure accurate cuts at all settings, and comes complete with a blade. Or get the skilled 3-8-inch cordless drill from True Value Hardware Stores. It features two-speed controls so you can adjust the speed to suit the job and the material. And it operates forward and reverse to drive and remove screws. It includes a recharging unit to keep the drill ready for use. And because it's cordless, you can use it anywhere. See the wide selection of quality skilled power tools at participating True Value Hardware Stores and home centers. And save gas. You won't have to drive far for your hardware and houseware needs. If you're looking for values, for service, and for selection, you'll find them nearby at any one of the more than 5,000 True Value hardware stores and home centers nationwide. It's time for Bryant, with comforting thoughts on cooling and heating your home or business. If you have a fireplace, be certain to keep the damper closed when not in use. You'll avoid drafts, but most important, you'll stop valuable heat from escaping up the flue. When you decide it's time to economize with more energy-efficient cooling and heating, call the man who has it, your independent hometown Bryant dealer. Bryant, a comforting thought. Looking for a computer? Start looking at American Computer in Omaha. American Computer has computers for farmers and ranchers and businessmen and for the home. If you're a doctor, American Computer has a complete medical package. Includes the computer, memories, terminals, printers, software programs, insurance forms, handling and maintenance, a first-line, state-of-the-art, multi-terminal system at a lot less than you'd expect to pay. For the broadest selection of computers, peripheral devices, and software programs in the Midwest, see American Computer in Omaha, just six blocks south of I-80 at the 84th Street Interchange. Out-of-towners call Collect, 592-3590. In Omaha and Council Bluffs, we have 29 degrees, a little snow. Lincoln, cloudy skies, and 30. This is KFAB, Omaha. Washington Irving started out to become a lawyer, but his health was not robust. And, as was very much the habit with doctors of his time, he was advised to travel abroad and so build up his constitution. We shall never know what sort of lawyer he might have become, but 
we know for a certainty that he developed into a first-class writer. And it was his early visit to Europe which roused his interest in the gothic tales of terror and romance, such as the one we have adapted for you. It would have been just as well had I never come to Paris. I was as lonely here as I had been at home as incapable of establishing human contact as ever. I sank deeper and deeper into my studies of writers long deceased and saw no one, no one at all, but the old crone who was concierge of the establishment where I had my cell-like chamber. Yes, who is it? Uh, come in. Someone to see you. What? Uh, me? So someone wishes to see me? So he says. Well, who is it? Didn't you ask him? He spoke as though he knew you from elsewhere, as though you were old friends. Uh, Carl? Did he say his name is Carl? I told you he didn't say. I didn't yes, ask. Yes, of course. It's course. It's Carl. Who else could it be? What shall I say to him, your friend Carl? Well, ask him kindly to come up at once, if he will, or I'll come down. Anything at all. Tell him he's most welcome. Would you believe it? I was trembling all over. Clumsily, I tried to put the room into some kind of order. I kicked books under the bed. I scraped together papers and notebooks from my table and tried to stack them into a semblance of neatness. I patted the narrow little bed and drew the spread more evenly over its lumpy surface. I was scurrying about like the most frantic housewife when I heard Carl's voice from the doorway. It's only I, you know, Godfrey. Only, only you, Carl. Carl, come in, please sit down. Carl, I am so happy to see you. You, you don't know. You just don't know. I am happy that you are happy. To have someone to talk to. Someone, someone like you. Someone who, who understands. I, uh, I did not know till now, till, till this very moment, how much I have needed someone I could talk to, to open my heart to. Wait now. You mean there's been no one here in Paris? No. No one at all. I have spent my time at the Sorbonne, in the libraries, in the museums. But, Gottfried, no one can live entirely within libraries and museums. Yes, I, I know. The moment I saw you standing there, I knew. It begins to look as though I gave you bad advice, counseling you to come to Paris. No, no, no. It, it was sound advice. At least it seemed to be, at first... Paris seemed to be the tonic I was needing. At first, you say? Well, then what? Well, is it... Oh, wait, I haven't offered you anything to drink. I uh, must have a bottle of wine around here somewhere. Yes, yes, here we are. <laughs> Cheap sort, I'm afraid. Very ordinary Beaujolais. I I'm sorry, I, I could go Godfrey, out for... Godfrey, Godfrey, don't excite yourself. Think of whom you're speaking to. It's Carl, your friend. Think of all the evenings we shared a bottle of the cheapest wine and found it sufficient because of the pleasure of each other's company. Yes. Now, can't we open this bottle in the same spirit? Of course, of course we can. Forgive me. My, my manners have grown coarse. It comes from being too much alone. Uh, there must be another glass somewhere around. I'm sure I had one. Oh, here we are. Now, Carl. Gottfried. To friendship. Our friendship. Yours and mine. 
You know, I am beginning to feel almost like a man again. Tell me what has brought you to this sorry state. The blood. I I beg your pardon? You said the blood? Uh, You know how wildly enthusiastic I was with the political theories of the revolution and the philosophy behind them. They seem to open a vista of progress for mankind. A wide and open road down which we could travel toward the perfect state. You were always one to look for perfection. And why not? Why not? Well... Why were we put on earth if not to search for the perfect state? Are we supposed to wallow in the mediocre and pretend that it suffices? Roll about in filth and call it good? Is that our reason for being... Is that what we we were created for in God's image? Dear friend, you must try not to excite yourself. Excite myself? It is enough to drive me mad that the visions were all forsaken and the visionaries turned to killing... The dreams were trampled, and the dreamers drowned themselves in blood. Carl, there are times when I think it has done just that. You mean... Listen to me, Carl. Let me tell you something. I must tell someone this. There's only you. No one else. Of course, Gottfried. You can tell me anything. Carl, in the most ancient part of Paris... Where the Hotel de Ville lies. You know the place? I have heard of it. On the Place de Grève. The open space in front of the Hotel de Ville. That is where they have erected the guillotine. I have heard, yes. This instrument of death stands ever ready. The scaffold runs all day with blood. All day. Each day. Victims are dragged there and made to kneel. A heavy blade is released. It slides swiftly down vertical guides. And the head... The head of the victim, oh, Heavenly Father, it is too horrible, too terrible. I can't endure it. You you mustn't take these crimes upon yourself. A revolution has never been accomplished without shedding blood. Yes, but this has become a mania for blood, an insatiable thirst. Even now, at this moment, while the city sleeps, that horrible engine stands, grim and silent, waiting for fresh victims. It sickens me. It congeals my heart. It freezes my blood. I understand. I do. And that is why I have turned away to the study of ancient writers. Dead thinkers. Anything to separate me from the awful present. My poor Gottfried. I am so sorry. So sorry. Thank you. I am ashamed to accept your pity. Yet I thank you for it. Which shames me all the more. That I should be grateful. But there... There must be other things. There must be more to life. Come, let's finish this bottle of wine before I have to leave. Leave? You have to leave? Oh, not, not quite yet. I can spend another quarter of an hour with a you. A quarter of an hour? No more than that? I must take a train back at midnight. I had thought I... had hoped that... I... have been so alone. Yes, yes, come now. Let's make the most of our time together. Drink up now, and we'll talk of pleasant things. Such as... Yes, yes, such as what? Well, 
Such as women, for example. <laughs> Surely there are women in Paris who have taken your fancy. Oh, yes. Yes, many, many. Well, there now. You see? Things are not all black and gloomy. Of course, I have not met any women. I... I haven't the neck. I... I've never had it. You know that. Well, I thought that here, in Paris, you might, well, acquire it. Learn the ways of the world. Oh, no, I'm... I'm too shy. I... I can't find the courage. But I... I think about them. Oh, do you now? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. I do. I think of them a great deal. When I come back here to my lonely room, my cell, I think back in my mind to the delectable faces I have seen on the streets. You know what, Carl? No, what? In my reveries, in my dreams of them, they are even lovelier than they looked on the streets. (laughs) What do you think of that? Do you mean to tell me that there isn't even one woman? One in particular. Just one. Oh, yes. Yes, there is one. One very particular one. Oh, that's better. Tell me about her. Tell you about her? How can I tell you about her? Start by telling me what she looks like. Yes. Well, her skin is very pale. Very, very pale. White. Like a white rose. Her eyes? Dark. Dark and burning hot like sultry suns. Ah, better and better. Her hair? A shade of red, I think. You think? Yes, yes. Her hair is reddish. Some might call it somber. But against the pallor of her skin... And her name? Her name? What about her name? Well, aren't you going to tell me the name of your lovely? She has no name. Why should she have a name? Gottfried... Are you drunk? I have never given her a name. Why should I? She is my dream. You... You only dream of this woman? She's not real? She doesn't exist? She is real to me. She exists in my dreams. She lives in my thoughts by day. She haunts my dreams by night. Don't you understand? I love her. Oh, my poor friend. I shall always love her to the end of my days. So, you see, I am not quite as lonely as you thought. (laughs) Not at all. Not lonely at all, because she is with me at all times. I... Yes, I... I see. I... I think I see. Dear friend, it is getting on for midnight and I have a train to catch. Will you walk with me to the station? Of course I said I would. And I did. Though it was a stormy night. Claps of thunder were rattling among the high houses of the narrow streets. Lightning flashed now and again, and the rain that began to fall seemed to drop into my heart as much as on the cobblestones. When I had watched the train depart, carrying off my only friend, I thought to return to my room, but something... A morbid recollection of our conversation, no doubt, drew me, or 
forced me toward the Hotel de Ville and the Place de Grève. And in a sudden flare of lightning, I saw it. The horrible engine of death, the guillotine. <gasps> a violent tremor ran through me, and I wanted to run. But something held me rooted to the spot till the lightning burst forth again. And there, crouched by the guillotine, I saw a shadowy form, all dressed in black. A female form seated on one of the lower steps of the scaffold, leaning forward, her face in her lap, her long, disheveled hair to the ground. Her long, reddish hair. You are listening to a tale of terror and romance told in the Gothic style. So-called Gothic stories were enormously popular in the 19th century and they have never wholly ceased to be in demand by the reading public, or for that matter, the viewing audience, or, as now, the listening one. It is good to remember that the Gothic romance was assisted into our world by a gentleman from New York, Mr. Washington Irving. I'll be back shortly with our concluding act. Hi, this is Michael Landon. I know pictures of your family are important, so when you get them developed, do what I do. Make sure Kodak paper is behind them. Make sure you look for a store with a Kodak paper sign. The one that says, we use Kodak paper for a good look. And tell them Michael sent you. Just ask for Kodak Working with the superb CBS News team to gather and report the news. The daily, constant pressure of being the best. And there's only one place you can find this anchor man, this editor, this team. Good evening, after strong but Cronkite and Company, only on the CBS Evening News. Monday through Friday on the CBS Television Network. like a runaway locomotive. The new Consumer Information Catalog. For the life of me, Foster, your obsession with the book escapes me. It's only a catalog. The book that's helping America find a better way to live. What do you find in that catalog? Something you could never give me, Lillian. More than 200 back-filled federal publications listed inside. Book that's on home in repairs, weight control, keeping household records, and more. I've read them all to be the man you want me to be. That's a lot of reading. The book you have to read from the Consumer Information Center of the U.S. Government. The new Consumer Information Catalog. It's free. Just write to Free Catalog, Pueblo, Colorado, 81009. That's Free Catalog, Pueblo, Colorado, 81009. Send for the book. Don't wait for the movie. Tomorrow night's Mystery Theater deals with a man who literally fought windmills. Hear the adventures of Don Quixote at 11.05 on KFAB. 
But now we return to Act Three of The Guillotine. It is true that Washington Irving was born in New York, but for reasons of health, he traveled extensively abroad and actually had living quarters for a time in the Alhambra, that centuries-old palace that still stands on a hill in Granada, a relic of the time when the Moors ruled a large part of Spain. In fact, you can go there today and see the very rooms he occupied. And uh, if you are very careful and no one is looking... Touch the keys of the spinet on which he played. I stood in the teeming rain and gazed at the woman in black who sat on the steps of the scaffold. There was something awful in this solitary monument of woe. She looked to be a woman of some distinction. Who could it be but some poor mourner whom the dreadful axe had made desolate, who now sat here heartbroken on the strand of existence from which all that was dear to her had been launched into eternity. I could not leave the Place de Grève without speaking to her. Madame. <clears throat> Your pardon, Madame. I would not intrude upon your solitude, but neither can I pass by and leave you here alone. Uh, the storm, the hour of the night. Let me lead you away from this gruesome place. Let me take you to your friends who will cherish and take care of you. Madame? I... I have no friends. Oh, Madame, such a one as you. I have no friends. Uh, the guillotine has taken them all. Is that what you mean? My heart weeps for you. But if there are no friends to give you refuge, at least let me take you home. I have no home. But in the grave... Oh, madame, I know I am a stranger to you. You have no reason to trust either me or my intentions, but if you would permit me to offer you my protection. I am a poor student, madame. I am not even a native of Paris. I live in the most humble hotel in the Latin Quarter. Such as it is, I would be honored, happy, if you would let me place my single room at your disposal on this most wretched of nights. You... You seem very kind. Very sincere. Thank you. Thank you, madame, for understanding. Uh, then you will come with me you will permit me to enlist as your protector. Monsieur, my fate lies in your hands. The storm had abated. All Paris was quiet. That great volcano of human passion slumbered for a while to gather fresh strength for the next day's eruption. I conducted my charge through the ancient streets of the Latin Quarter by the dusky walls of the Sorbonne to the dingy hotel where I lived. The hour was late and I had to ring for the concierge. Coming! Coming! Oh, don't be afraid of her. She's cross but really kind. Ah, uh, uh, 
thank you. Thank you, madame. I am so sorry to trouble you. You... You have someone with you? Yes, yes, uh, a friend. <laughs> well, come in, you and your friend. Thank you, madame. <laughs> if you need anything, refreshment of any kind... Yes, thank you. My room is on the first floor. You'll find it rather shabby, I'm afraid. <laughs> this hotel once belonged to a member of the nobility, but only the remains of its old glory are still evident. And <laughs> you have to look very hard indeed to see them. Here we are. Here is the door, madame. I'll fetch a light. You can make yourself comfortable, uh, there's a bed over there if you care to lie down. You must be tired. Ah, here we are. Here's our light. You are very kind to a poor stranger. <gasps> Madame. What, what is it? You, you are so pale. But your hair, your, your eyes, your skin. They, they please you? Your black dress, your black cape, it's... So simple. Oh, I am happy you like them. No jewels. No ornaments of any kind. Only a broad black band around your lovely neck with its diamond clasp. Oh, you are too perfect. You are too perfect by far, madame. May I tell you something of what is in my heart? I have loved you. For a very long time. What's that? A very long time? I have seen you every night for months. And many times during the day. Oh, well, have you been following me, young man? I have been dreaming of you. Asleep at night, entranced during the day. It has been your face, your form that filled my thoughts and fevered my imagination. Madame... Adore you. Oh, how, how strange it all is. Strange, but marvelous. That, that you should have thought of me all this time. Thought of you, dreamed of you. Oh, 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 was it that you, young and ardent, have filled your head with thoughts of the other sex? It would only be natural. And your thoughts simply reappeared in your dreams. Madame... Though I am of such a shy disposition, I have never had the courage to pursue my fancies into the world of reality. All this is known to a friend of mine. He was here today, a short visit to Paris. We talked here in this very room. I spent a good part of our time together telling him that while I thought of women as any man does, still, there was one in particular. One... Very particular one. Oh, are, are you saying... My friend asked me what she looked like, this one particular woman. He asked me to describe her. Yes? And? And I said her skin is white as a white rose. Oh. Her eyes are dark like sultry suns. And her hair a certain shade of deep red. Oh, my dear. Surely such a miracle that you have come to life. That you sit here in my little room in all your beauty and desirability. 
I told my friend this evening. I said, do not pity me because I love this woman of my dreams and shall always love her. And what did he have to say to that, your friend? I think he understood. At least he accepted what I said as truth, as my truth. But... And it was time for him to take his train. We said farewell. I started to walk back here. And then... And And then we met by the guillotine. And I dared to speak to you. And I listened and believed you. And I brought you back to my humble room. And here we are together. I, I tell you, it is a miracle. The miracle of my life. It is yourself. It is you come to life. It is you sitting next to me. Your hand I am holding. Your eyes I gaze into. It is your lips I desire. If I might only... Yes? If I might kiss those lips just once. Oh, only once. Madame, my most beloved... Oh, my darling, again. Again. My sweet angel, you give me courage to ask you something I never thought to ask. Yes, my love. Do you feel as I feel? Yes. Why should we separate, you and I? Our hearts are already united in the eye of reason and honor. We are as one. Oh, yes. You have no home, no family. Let me be home. Family, everything to you. Rather, let us be everything to each other. Here, take my hand. I pledge myself to you forever. Forever? You say forever? Forever. Then, my lover, I am yours. The next morning, in order not to disturb my beautiful sleeping bride, I crept cautiously and quietly from our bed and as quietly dressed myself and went forth early in the day to look for larger quarters, since it was clear to me that my situation had so changed as to make the tiny student's room quite inappropriate. When I returned from my search, I stopped to speak to the concierge, who quite clearly was taking a certain enjoyment in my clandestine affair. Hmm? Good morning, monsieur. Morning. Will you be wanting a small repast, you and the lady, a coffee perhaps, a croissant? Uh, yes, that would be very nice, thank you. Uh, the lady has not asked for me. No, no, monsieur, nor has she gone out. I've watched for her. No, she still sleeps in your room, I believe. Thank you. I'll be up in a moment with your coffee and croissant. Uh, thank you so very much. We'll both appreciate that. My love, it is I. I have been walking the streets looking for a better place for us to live. Two rooms, at least, by the river, if possible. Do you hear me? Well, come along, my sweetheart. Wake up now. The concierge is bringing us our breakfast. 
Well, come along. You cannot be comfortable lying like that. Your head hanging over our poor little bed. Your arm thrown over it. Well, let me move your arm at least. Oh, but how cold you are. How very cold. Your hand is like ice. Oh, my God. There's no pulse. No pulse at all. And your face. Pale. Ghastly. Oh, no. Monsieur, I have brought breakfast for you and the lady. The lady? The lady is dead. Dead? In my house? Police! I'm fetching the police! Police! The gendarme arrived in short order. He found me kneeling by the side of the bed, gazing in horror and dreadful fascination at the lifeless face of the woman I had loved for so long. The woman who had finally given herself to me in a pledge of a lifetime of love. As the officer of the police entered the room, I looked up at him and saw him start back suddenly, a look of total amazement on his face. Great merciful heaven. How does this woman come to be here? Do you know her, monsieur? Let me come closer. Do you know who she is? I know who she is. I was there in the Place de Greve when they chopped off her head. They guillotined her. Yesterday. I hardly know how to tell you what happened then. The policeman leaned over and unfastened the black collar with a diamond clasp that encircled the neck of my beloved. And horror of horrors beautiful head rolled upon the floor. And then I knew my most awful fear had been true all along. The fiend, the fiend had gained possession of me and I was lost forever. Forever. by Washington Irving, and I shall read it to you. Is this really a fact, said the inquisitive listener? A fact not to be doubted, was the reply. I had it from the best authority. The student told it to me himself. I saw him in a madhouse at Paris. I'll be back shortly. It's June 1778, and we're at the desperate Battle of Monmouth. A legend is being born before my very eyes. A young woman volunteer, Molly Pitcher, is helping fire one of the American cannons. Can you talk to us, Molly? Are you kidding? What's half of the British Army coming at us? Fire! Hard work for a woman. Hot and hard. Try cooking in a colonial kitchen sometime. Matter a woman, we've all got to help our country. Today, thousands of women are volunteers who have joined National Guard and Reserve units. They are a vital part of our military manpower. And 
man's woman power. At only a fraction of the cost of equivalent active duty forces. Over 300,000 employers have signed a statement of support encouraging employees to participate in Guard and Reserve training. Shouldn't you? Hey, you employers out there. Don't you know that when you help a volunteer help our country, you're helping yourself? If you haven't signed a statement of support yet, you should be ashamed. Employer support, Arlington, Virginia, 22209. A public service on behalf of employer support of the Guard and Reserve and the Advertising Council. The horror story is international. Starting with the castle of Otranto by the Englishman Horace Walpole, it was followed and improved upon by Honoré Balzac in France. And in America... It was carried on by Washington Irving and brought to a peak by the genius of Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yes, the horror story is here to stay. Our cast included Paul Hecht, Don Scardino, and Bryna Rayburn. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Oh, Rosinante, well... To me, to my poor, ignorant eyes, I could have sworn they were windmills. If you are afraid, say your prayers. I'll meet them all alone. You stay here, Sancho. What are you up to, my lord? Stand your ground, you cowardly knaves! You dastardly giant! Yeah, careful, master! Be quiet, Sancho. I may be only a single knight alone, you miserable, overgrown, faint-hearted monsters! You can get hurt! But like David facing half a dozen Goliaths, I engage you all in unequal but mortal combat! Don Quixote, the wind has freshened! The sails, the arms of the windmills are turning faster and faster! Giants, prepare to do me battle! Like David, it is your death or mine. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by True Value Hardware Stores and Contact, the 12-hour cold capsule. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. This is KFAB in Omaha.